back, welcome back to another episode of my Mr. Basil Pond. How are you doing today? Well, it's about to get better. One of the all-time great episodes of this here pod series is about to unfold into your ears. Wow. Yeah, the discussion today covers the entirety of the Catskills and beyond. So sorry if we uh, once again break the mold of one episode at a time in chronological order, because some of these guests like today's is just too big. It's too big. That's right. Metaphorically, emotionally, physically. And that's right. I'm talking about Zach Levi. Oh, Dr. Benjamin. Yeah. He is so full of life and energy and love for this show that I'm really excited for you to hear about it. Again, from his perspective. As threatened, please welcome Zachary Levi. Zach! <laughs> Kevin! Buddy! Kevin hey! Do you remember the name of the place we uh, lunched at while shooting in Prescott, New York, the home of the Steiner Family Resort? I guess I, I don't. I don't either. I remember, I don't <laughs> it I remember been weird. there were very few options. Yes. Uh, it was a quaint little town. Uh, yeah. Kind people. Very. But was it, was it, I thought it was something like... Wasn't it something like load something like it was I sure it was well Prescott was one area because I remember people making a big thing that Rod Serling was from there oh. but you're right there were a few names of towns that we were given which one are we in uh, was was up for debate I don't yeah I, I remember it having some name that almost more referred to it being a mining tower like a, a place that something was dug out of the ground load or mine or I don't know I remember there being something Eureka not Eureka's in California I don't know. Yeah. There was something about that. There was a city name, a township name, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But it was cool, man. I mean, I had never really spent any time up in that area of the country yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah. So it was really cool to be able to just check all that out and also be in this, you know, original old Catskills resort, like, you know, that you I had always heard of, like, the, you know, the Catskills and Dirty Dancing and all that jazz. But yeah. I had never been to any of that stuff. So it was really, it was really cool. It was a cool experience. And the fun of uh, an away game for Team Maisel to all be uh, holed up three plus hours from Manhattan and yeah. no no going back <laughs> while we're shooting. Yeah. Not, not much anyways. Um, yeah. So, yeah, th those are always fun. The location shoots where... Um, you get to have a lunch and uh, and talk about yeah. something other than yeah. that day. It's a little like it's a little sleep away camp, you know. Yep. You, yep. You're all just like because you're not going back to your own beds in Manhattan. You're all just going to this hotel and you're hanging out and you're checking it all out together. Yeah, it's super yeah. fun. You all get to commiserate about how wonderfully adequate the hotel is and so on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm first curious. I love origin stories, so I'm first curious with the first. Uh, contact that was made with you and or your people about you joining the Maisel Circus in the second season. So while we were at the Catskills, I think shooting episode six was when we got the first Emmy nomination. So we hadn't gotten those yet, but a week or so after we dropped the first season, we got the Golden Globe nomination. And then a couple of weeks later, we we won a couple. So at least we had some of that momentum. And then all the talking about, oh, my goodness, this wonderful show. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah. So you're contacted. So, to well, yeah. So, I mean, well, I'll start with I had watched the pilots on Amazon when Amazon was still doing that thing where 
they kind of would just show the one episode of pilot and then, you know, see how many people viewed it. And then they would go from there. So I was yeah. one of those people. I watched it. I thought it was fantastic. But that was, I mean, a year before. Like, I can't remember remember how long it was since I saw the pilot to then when, you know, the, the show, because it took a minute, right? After you saw the pilot, how long was it before you guys actually got greenlit to make the series? Yeah, well, I've heard different versions, but four to six months for sure. Okay. Yeah, then it was picked up to two seasons from that. And it was all, you're right, based on fan yeah. reviews and views. Yeah, exactly. So having watched the pilot, it was probably a year later by the time I even, because I, I lost track. I didn't even know what was picked up on Amazon and what wasn't. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel was picked up and they've made a season and all that jazz. But I was actually in Toronto. I was shooting Shazam, the first one. And I got a call from my agents and they said, hey, you know, we've got an offer for you to come in and play this, you know, new love interest opposite Rachel Brosnahan on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And, you know, it's Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino and all all this stuff. And there was a really, you know, ironically strange, I don't know how ironically or strange it was, but I was almost in Gilmore Girls. I, there was oh, a, wow. a role that I was auditioning for when I was, I don't even know, 18, 19. You know, I was almost working with them then, but obviously was just a fan of their, you know, their genius, their cadence, yeah. like how they do what they do so well. Yeah. And again, as I said, I was a fan of the pilot. And so I was already kind of familiar with it. Knew you, you know, that, that was... Sure. That was fun. And um, it's like, and, and again, at that point, you know, some of that heat had already kind of started. And I think they were in Paris. I think they were yeah. shooting because right the beginning of season two starts in France. And I think that they were already there. At least they were prepping. I mean, I was having like phone because I had a, you know, phone call with Amy and Dan to be like, hey, what, you know, what is this role and what are you hoping for? And yeah, all that. And that conversation went very well. But they were in Paris, I believe, when when that was going down. So you guys were already underway. And it fit perfectly. I was going to be done with Shazam principal photography. I could go to New York, my favorite city in the world, and go live there for, you know, six months and go shoot these wonderful episodes playing this really fun character. And that would be a perfect little window between finishing principal photography and then going back for additional photography on Shazam back to Toronto. And it was all, you know, Toronto, New York. It was like, you know, very, very cool. It all kind of worked out. And as it turned out, because I was actually, I didn't really know. I mean you always hope that everybody knows what you do and that they like what you do, but chances are they don't. Chances are they haven't seen all of what you've done or any of what you've done. And I was very curious how Amy and Dan even, like, why was I the one that they went for for this, for this Dr. You know, Benjamin Ettenberg? And as so it you turned out... asked them? Well, I think I... I think I did, or I don't know if it was like directly like, how do you know about me or whatever? Yeah. But I think through conversation, I came to find out, which makes, you know, made total sense in hindsight... So I was doing a Broadway musical in 2016 called She Loves Me yes. for the Roundabout Theater Company that Scott Ellis directed. Now, I didn't know that Scott was also directing episodes of Maisel. And so I, I believe, and Amy and Dan, big Broadway folks and musical folks and everything, you know, most people know. And so they came and saw She Loves Me. They saw me in She Loves Me. So I got that job from doing a Broadway role, right. which was even cooler, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and Scott, to his credit, you know, spoke well of me. I'm very grateful that he did. And so that's how ultimately all that came to be. And and that was, yeah, like I said, like a thing that was probably like April. I feel like it was like April, maybe of 2018. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And then I said yes. And then we got done with Shazam and I was straight. I came home to Texas for a hot second and then I went back to New York and 
was right there with you, just thrown into the mix. And I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember you when you found out that I got hired. I remember getting a text from you, being like, "So excited that you're coming on board." But just know, like, the words are the words. Like, you, <laughs> like they're very serious about you know that you really got to say those words. And I'm really grateful that you did because most shows, most movies, most TV shows are not that precious with nope. that stuff. I mean, they want you to say their words, but you know, like. If you say can't instead of cannot, no, no script supervisor is going to be like, oh, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. And, you know, it, so it was very I was glad I had that mindset. You, you helped me to, you know, kind of <laughs> land that plane a little bit. And then so when I got there, I was just, you know, being very diligent about making sure. And also, look, man, I kind of loved it. I loved the challenge of it. But I also loved that Amy and Dan and the rest of the writers cared so much about what they wrote because they put that much time and energy into it yeah. that they want you to say those words. And I will also say that at every point when I felt like there could have been an, even a slight improvement to the cadence, even a slight improvement, like based on how it's flowing out of my own mouth or whatever, whatever, I could go to them and I said, it hey, does this work instead of this or blah, blah. And they would always give me the moment. They'd always say, let me think about it. And they would kind of go through in their head, as you know, you know, and they go, yeah, you know what? You can you can do that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was so collaborative. It wasn't like I didn't feel like, you know, I was getting if you came in every morning with that question, there'd be a problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you know, when it's great material. So that's yeah, the other like thing. That. It's great that they saw you in theater and they probably thought, well, he's used to locking in a script <laughs> and not changing it later. Exactly. Yeah, because they're they're super sticklers on Broadway about that. Yeah, because I reached out to you for, with that heads up because I was fortunate enough to get a heads up from one of the people who the cast who did the pilot because I was brought in the second episode. So they had already experienced the um, the letters, the word. But you're right. There is a certain freedom that comes from that also, as much as I'm super proud to be a member of the Writers Guild since 1987. And I'm also super proud when people come up to me and quote lines from usual suspects that were not in that Academy Award winning script. Uh, you know, we like to contribute. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, particularly if you're somebody who appreciates comedy and a comedian and, you know, if you're doing comedy and you can find some great ad libs, some great improvs and staying in character, not just trying to always find a punchline, but you know, of course you want to like breathe in that character and allow it to kind of, you know, organically happen and still serve obviously the dialogue and the story and all that. But I will tell you to that point, not only were you the first love interest outside of her marriage to join the show, you were one of the first in terms of that cadence, in terms of that word for word, punch for punch banter that these shows and or movies of this milieu need. I feel like Midge and Susie have it. So to just step into that world and go toe to toe with your character and Midge was lightning in a bottle, like take one. And I remember coming to set the first time after you'd been shooting out on the boat and Amy and Dan just giving a look like, oh, did we pick the right one? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's a great That's overall. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It was great, man. I mean, I, you know, it was definitely a Anytime you're stepping, particularly if you're stepping into somebody else's family entirely, you know, you're yeah. a guest and you're like, all right. But everyone was so warm. Everyone was so kind. You guys were just a lovely group of people and operating on the highest levels. A lot of the stuff that I've done in my career has been very entertaining for a lot of folks, but a lot of it has not been award worthy type of content. You know, I, I, as much as I wish that it was, as much as I wish that people, you know, cared more about the various things that I've done. But to get to step into this award worthy on every level, I mean, 
mean, you know, look, congratulations, by the way, to all the Emmy noms that you guys got this season. I mean, it's like every department, you know, as everyone's being recognized for this high, high, high caliber, high level mm-hmm. craftsmanship and artistry. And yeah, that's really it's amazing, but also, you know, a little like intimidating because you're like, wow, I, I hope I'm not the one who screws all this up right now. Every actor I've had on the podcast so far from the show has basically said the same thing. While doing those oneers and doing various scenes, I just want to not be the one who screws up the take. You know, you, we we normally feel that way, but especially with these words at this speed and this rate, yeah. it's such a great challenge and maybe the most rewarding for the same reasons, right? When you hit that sweet spot. Oh, also just the arc of your character throughout season two. Uh, Well, let's talk a little bit more about the Catskills and then we'll open that up because really the chemistry between the two of you that is established immediately and continues through the three episodes involving the Catskills and a drive in that sweet caddy away from the Catskill and also out on the stoop, uh, I think. Don't you end up at... Yeah, after that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so the introduction of your character... I guess is the her coming up to you saying our mothers want us to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I believe I was playing cards or something. With... Yes. You were doing something that she yeah. was. And she just comes in at an unannounced out of nowhere. I have no idea what this woman is. Yeah. She's like, we're supposed to spend time together. Let's go down and, you know, get on a boat. And I'm like, you know, okay. Okay. Crazy person. <laughs> but that's why I loved, again, just going back to the words. I mean, it was, it was so clear. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do with those words. There wasn't a question of what is Benjamin's intention. Like he's like, he this is entertaining to him. This is I'm oh, I gotta see how crazy this gets. And to go all the way down to the boat and then have having her be like row. I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't row. You want to row? You ask me on this boat, you know, like that, that yeah. tete-a-tete, we immediately because you don't normally, particularly for a meat cute, the meat cute is not normally. Uh, uh, you know, this thing. No. And so they gave us that to build, you know, the friction, the love, hate, you know, whatever that made it so much more enjoyable. And also a throwback to the Cary Grant, Kate Hepburn of the fella, especially this being said in the late fifties, yeah. when these stereotypes were super true, the fella not feeling the urgency of impressing. Yeah. It was just so beautiful to the period, to the timing, to the chemistry, to the fun to be had. And again, to that throwback of those leading men and women of the films of the 40s and 50s. So, yeah. 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 So that was fun, man. I mean, to get, to get thrown into that and, you know, that, I mean, the boat scene was just, just so fun and, and her kind of melting down and me just watching the meltdown happening. It was also very, it was a, it was a weird scene to shoot because we were yeah. just out in a rowboat with no motor and we had the other, and the camera boats around us and, you know, just trying to figure out how we were going to make it happen. Yeah. And the rain, that was another thing. The weather kept threatening when we were there. And so yeah. we kind of like, okay, are we going to make that shot? Or are we not going to make, but it all ended up working out. You know, and also we should stop and speak to the powerhouse sitting across from you who, you know, almost everyone I'm going to talk to hadn't worked with Rachel Pryor. And you have seen her in the pilot or whatever episodes you might have seen after that. But sitting across from her in a scene, uh, give me a little insight into that part of it. Well, 
Rachel's work, I knew first from House of Cards, yep. I think. Yep. And I was Absolutely blown away by her performance in House of Cards. I was like, oh, wow, she's a she's a fantastic actress. And then seeing her in Maisel and seeing this whole other side of her talent. And so was already a fan on that level. But she was so gracious. She was mm. so kind. She was so immediately collaborative. There was no sense of this is my, you know, like as you, you, we work with some egos sometimes and it's really sad. It's really sad that people, whatever traumas they've experienced in their life have led to yeah. unhealed traumas and insecurities and whatever it is. And then you give this person a little bit of power or celebrity or whatever it is. And they start to act in ways that are just not great, a little gross, yeah. whatever. And, and you deal. I agree. It's usually driven by insecurities or not thinking you deserve or earned the instant plateau that you've been thrust to. She had just a few months before won the Golden Globe for Best Actress on the show. And the first season had aired and she was already the new television it girl and you're right it to this day as we shoot uh, halfway through season five it has not changed it just is who she is yeah even if we can forgive because it's driven by insecurity and imposter syndrome right sure when people act out or they act well this is what a television star is supposed to act like if i'm going to be number one on the call sheet everyone needs to get what they expect from me which is i'm a head case uh (laughs) Yeah, all the myriad reasons. There's more reasons to act up than to be a professional, as it turns out. Yeah. But all, and to say all that, to just, you know, highlight, yeah, she was not any of that. She was exactly who you want her, who I was hoping she would be, which was uh, a classy, talented, professional. Yeah. Open, collaborative actor who understands the assignments. Yeah. Not just the assignment of, you know, here's the scene and here's what we got, but the assignment of being a lead on a show, being a leader, not a boss. You know, there's there's a a real big difference in that. And she and her heart was so evident. And I whatever, you know, nerves or whatever I may have had, you know, stepping into that were immediately cast away because I thought, oh, okay, we're totally understanding each other in the scene. And also, we're human beings that are seeing each other as human beings. And so it was fantastic. And and I could say the same, by the way, of all of you. I mean, not, and I, that's not, I mean, I've known you for a while. So, I mean, I, you know, you know that I have such a fondness for you and Jamie and, you know, your whole world. But yeah. Tony, like, you know, I, I didn't really know him at all. And I'm such a massive fan of his. And he was just so kind and so warm and... Yeah. You know, so all of it, I, you know, it was just a great little entree. Yes. And thank you for that. And yeah, there is that maintained all through every season of work, a level of gratitude and professionalism when it didn't need to necessarily. And I do love the pairing at the end of episode four, season two, where you and Michael Zegan's character are smoking cigarettes out of watching the fireworks, (laughs) wanting to be separated it by design as well as execution and the fun that you and michael had with it to then also end on your backs you know it was day one in the which team are you yeah are you team benjamin or or team Team Joel, joel right and to that final shot on your backs where you look like you had just come from shazam in stature and oh the tiny jew you know and he's not <laughs> tiny compared to me but he is compared to what you had shown up looking like oh uh, yeah 
Oh, buddy. So even that unfair advantage to the new guy. I mean, it was all so beautifully, again, captured. And oh, man, 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 man. Yeah. And working with Zegan in that, if you can touch on that a little bit. Oh, it was great. Because, you know, remember, he doesn't know. You know, none of us know where our stories are going. I don't know him either. Neither of us know who the other person is or that, you know, like it, it, that was one of the genius strokes of it. It just like we're just two random dudes that are having a conversation, not about the same thing, but kind of about the same thing. You know, like he's asking me some existential. I'm, ta- I'm definitely speaking in more existential terms. No idea that this is the sad sack who's, by the way, and at that point, the sad sack who had to have been married to this crazy woman. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, I probably felt bad for him. Like, oh, my God, of course you did whatever you did. <laughs> But even as actors, right? So to that point, I'm sure when they somehow made your deal to be in season two, there must have been a discussion and we'll leave the thing open as to if season two is it, right? There must have been a little bit of that because they like a lot of mystery as to where the season's going. So they, they're they probably going to cover that basis, whether they have no intention to use it or not. And for Zegan... You know, he was sort of told from the beginning, this is like Desi and Lucy in terms of can't be together, but always together. Yeah. But at the same time, the first time they bring in the suitor as an actor, I know Michael well enough to know because he doesn't know where all this is going. It had to have been inside of his head. Uh, How is this going to actually unfold? (laughs) You know? Yeah. So, yeah. But it was really cool, man. I mean, every episode of your show is fantastic. Every episode that I got to be in was so great. I I could, you know, highlight all these different moments. But that was such a great, you know, poetic scene, kind of, and and the fireworks going off. And and again, going back to what you said, yeah, when when the offer came, it was for, you know, X amount of episodes. I'm not even sure that they said exactly how many episodes because they, you know, they They made it right as they felt like they were right. And that there could be an extension into another season potentially. So I was part of the ride that was so fun for me was just like, okay, where are we going with this? (laughs) Right. Like, am I going to end up marrying this girl? Like, is this, am I, are they going to be like, Hey, we want you to like be a regular. Like, I I don't know. You have no idea how those things go, but I think it all worked out really all things being equal at the end of the line. I, my whole arc to season two and coming back in three was, I'm just so, and people to this day still come and say, man, I I love Gian Maisel. I was like, yeah. I still reference the monologue you have back at the stage deli where you, no, no, you need to listen to me. And this is what you did. That is an absolute clinic that they should show in acting class, honestly and truly. It was not just an actor coming into their own in a specific role and knowing every nuance and bringing all of their own deliciousness to these great words. It was absolute other level, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. So now on to season two, episode five, where I think is it the first time we see you was when you pull up in the caddy to drive her into town. In that episode, it could be. Yeah, it could yeah. be. Let me reference Jamie's fabulous notes. Um, yep. Outside the rec center, Benjamin pulls up to give Midge a ride to the city. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've run out of cereal. (laughs) So (laughs) I mean, cereal. So I'm like, I'm out. Again, I'm so glad you mentioned the cereal because it is (laughs) such a great example of that's the 17th joke or reason that comes up in the writer's conversation of. Let's give him a fun reason to not stick around, you know? Yeah. yeah. And how many they went through. 
before someone said his cereal's up. He brings a box of cereal, and when it's gone, he's gone. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Are you we just tired? Is that the funniest thing I've ever heard? You know, or I mean, I honestly, and I never asked them about it, but I, I always thought, well, maybe that was actually something that somebody experienced personally. You know, like that was a, an actual thing that they knew that they had an uncle when they would all go to the Catskills or camping or whatever. The uncle would always stick around long enough to eat a cereal. So it was normally like three days because they'd have you know cereal for three days and then they're gone. And then that's that sounds exactly right. Yeah, I agree that it must have been from someone's experience because that's just too rich. That's not beat the joke. so specific. Yeah, that's, and also just so chewy. I mean, honestly, oh man. Uh, um, So with a name like Levi, over the years, of course, you've had to answer that question. And I don't know how many Hebrew and origin fellows you've ultimately portrayed, but one of the weird things for me is I had carved out this somehow dramatic career from stand-up comedy with no formal training and then became this dramatic actor, which was so not the plan. But I spent this lifetime of underplaying everything so as to not get caught acting ever, being called out for, oh, sorry, you clearly don't know what you're doing. So I would just underplay, <laughs> not knowing it was a technique called less is more. I would just, just don't ever, you know, get caught. And now I'm getting these raves for being this loud obnoxious Jew which I'd never portrayed before and even Jamie's saying it's the role you were born to play you know and my brain is breaking so <laughs> there's something about Dr. Benjamin that is not Jewy in nature there are a few little nuggets uh like the cereal I'm going to suggest that that I know from my experience but there was never I felt like Dr. Benjamin was played more like a upstanding citizen, a, a man who's felt to be a master of his own domain, very much the professional, uh, very much the doctor. And when you share surgeon, is it pediatric surgeon, I want to say? I don't remember, actually. Yeah. I don't think he was pediatric. I think he was. He did. Uh, no, okay. Because I, no, I, yeah, no, no, no. It wasn't pediatric because Trauma he surgery. joked about how, yeah, like he would, like his clients were, uh, I think, adults that he would have to do surgery on that somehow also what was the joke i'm forgetting now anyway yeah i'm pretty sure it was some kind of other surgery yeah yeah but that was the benjamin that i vibe that i got was in terms of what world is this guy going back to when he runs out of cereal and it was a very upstanding professional world and of course they had mentioned oh and he's a doctor you know which is every jewish mother's dream right but then yeah i never felt there was really anything he was like the max bear of jewish doctors he was you know, just bigger than life and completely in control of. And the fact that he liked everything weird also was kind of perfect. Instead of looking for someone to share all of this with, blech, you know, so given those tools. Yeah. I mean, you know, really, you bring what's already on the page, right? So if Amy and Dan wanted him to be more Jewy, they would have written him to be more Jewy. What I, got from them at every turn was, and even like in our initial kind of phone call about it, he's a guy who's very particular. Yeah. He's very busy. He has very little time that he can just waste doing anything. He makes a lot of money. He likes spending that money. He likes enjoying his life, but he's bored by, and that's one of the things I love so much about the character. He was bored by all of this normal, like doting wife kind of nonsense. I was like, yes, that's really interesting because yeah. Midge is not that. Or, I mean, she tried to be that, but then that blew up in her face. And now she's trying to be this more, you know, different version of herself who's more in tune with 
her own desires and and makes her well, she she was already kind of quirky and weird, and now she's got even more quirk and weirdness about her. And that's what's so intriguing to him. And he can't stop thinking about who is this weird, interesting, not this cookie cutter nonsense that my mom is constantly trying to set me up with, or my aunts, or some yento, or whatever. You know, like yeah, I reject all of that. In fact, I always kind of felt like Benjamin was, you know, kind of. Jewish in blood, but not really a practicing Jew. It's like right. he, he would only do the practicing things if he was over at his parents' house or like they dragged him to temple or what, you know, and fine, cool, great. You know, he got bar mitzvah, obviously, but like, yeah. he's not that guy. He's much more kind of assimilated into the Manhattan, you know, wealthy Manhattanite life or yeah. whatever that is. And like, as I suggested, a master of his domain, which does not include a great deal of organized religion. Yeah. It, yeah. Just in terms of he's an intellectual. Yeah, he's yeah. A, he's an intellectual over anything else for sure. For sure. Yeah, in fact, he's reading on the canoe. What was he reading? He was reading uh it was the uh the news pamphlet. It was you know, for what like yeah, the news, the news at at Steiner. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was which so is cool. his idea of how to relax out on a body of water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, because who knows how bad this conversation is gonna go. I better bring some reading material. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> he came prepared. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I've actually going back to uh your kind of setup to this. I can't think of it offhand. I don't I haven't actually played I don't think I played that many Jews. Right. My name, you know, is Zachary my my full birth name is Zachary Levi Pugh. Pugh right. is Welsh, very Welsh, like Florence Pugh, who clearly wasn't made fun of as much as I was. Otherwise, maybe she would have changed her name too. I, when I started in my Hollywood kind of career, my agent, who was a Jew, as as was my manager, as were my lawyers, you know, uh, but my agent was like, um, hey, you know, every time I make a phone call on your behalf, there's always a comment. It's not always necessarily derogatory, but there's always a comment. So if you're thinking about changing your name at all, now would be the time because we're just starting and we want to set that kind of precedent. And I always was very adamant that I was going to bend for Hollywood. I didn't want to change who I was in any way, shape or form. I wanted to remain who I was. But when she brought this up and then I spent a lot of time thinking and praying on it and talking to my family about it because I didn't want to, you know, leave them in the dust. Like that's my family name, but I don't want to carry that. And what I realized was, you know, we are like it or lump it. We are the product. We're not going door to door selling vacuums. And if nobody likes our vacuum, it's not a personal thing. We are the vacuum. And so you've got to be willing to look at that, take a step back, have some objectivity, look at that and say, okay, well, if I'm the product, then I have to be willing to look at how I brand and market this product. And if for whatever reason, people are getting hung up on Pew because they can't pronounce it or because they think, oh, Pew, like that's weird, whatever. Like I got a lot as a kid. Do I need to take a look at that? And so then I I was like, okay, maybe I do. And then, and then I thought I compromised. I said, well, if I just lop off my last name and go by my first and middle name, it's still me. I haven't changed who I am. I've just augmented who I am a little bit. Nice. And my agent was like, perfect, great, love it. Not once did any of the Jews in my life, professional Jews in my life, ever say to me, you know, if you do that, people are going to think you're Jewish. Like, no, but the conversation never happened. Hilarious. And so I never thought about it, like, at at all. Not at all. Because I was honestly... I mean, not that I didn't have Jewish friends growing up, but I didn't know a lot of Levies or Levies or or Levi's. Yeah. 
I always associated it with Levi Strauss. I always associated it to, to denim, to jeans. And, and to this day, when people say, like, how do you pronounce it? Because there is Levy and Levy and all that stuff. I go, Levi like the jeans. And they go, oh, okay, got it. So it wasn't until like, you know, my first pilot season. And all of a sudden, I'm literally <laughs> going in for roles. And I shit you not. <laughs> there was at least once, if not twice, when the feedback from the casting director uh, to my agent was a little too Jewy. A little too Jewy. And my agent's like, he's a he's a goy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, how, how could you possibly just because he walked because he had like, well, how am I carrying myself? I Did I do a lot of this? Was I wringing my hands? Like, I don't know what was going on. So it's very odd, you know, to carry. But also, I don't know, kind of a. Kind of a, uh, you know, I'm an honorary member of the tribe. I said, for sure. You know, I, I've read yeah. child's role at Sager multiple times. So, like, well, where we split on path, by the way, not only did I not prey on it, I went to my mom when I was 10 and said, Pollock's a little clunky if I'm going to be in show business. Now, I was nowhere near show business. I was, I was a dreamer. It's a clunky. It's a little clunky. <laughs> and I want to change it to Kevin Klein, which was her maiden name. And this was, you know, 67 kevin the famous kevin klein wasn't famous yet so she said yeah uh we'll talk about it you're 10 uh let's let's table this for now can we put a pin in that if that term existed in 67 but yes yeah i wanted to be kevin klein not kevin paul because it was clunky Clunky. Well, I don't think it. I think that your 10 year old mind was creating mountains out of molehills. I think sure. Kevin Pollock is a great name. Well, yeah. And also, I wasn't aware of Sidney Pollock. I wasn't aware of Jackson Pollock. You know, there were some Pollocks to feel good about. Yeah. 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 So good lineage. Who doesn't love the fish, Pollock? So, yeah. So it is crazy. That's a great insight into <laughs> is he or isn't he? And I will tell you, by the way. Yeah. I will tell you also the amount of DMs. Uh, like Instagram direct messages yep. that I got when I was doing Maisel from Jewish mothers yep. who were so excited yep. and wanted me to meet their daughter. It was amazing. And then it came out that I wasn't Jewish and I started getting more DMs saying, I'm very brokenhearted. I can't believe I thought you were, a, I, I, I didn't know, but you know what? We still love you on the show. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Stay away from my daughter, so but we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is perfect. Oh, golly. All right. So I had to enter episode five in a very unwielding period car that I had to drive on a serpentine road traversing. And every time we did a take and they said, can you drive a little faster? I was convinced I was going to die. So how was that Cadillac just to drive alone? Because period cars, especially the one you had, look great, but that steering is not power and it's not what we're used yeah. to. Yeah. So, bro, it was it was <laughs> one of the, like, I, the challenge of it, I was, because like I, I love a challenge. I'm sure. totally about it. I love it when somebody's like, can you do this? I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. I'll give it everything I got. And I, I do consider myself a pretty darn good driver. Mm -hmm. um, but as you're saying, you know, older cars power nothing. You know, not power steering, not power brakes. Yeah. On top of all that, the precision yes. with which I had to drive that car in that scene, mm -hmm. because we had that um, we got Mercedes SUV camera car that had a boom, right? It had like, it's kind of like boom out with a camera on the end of it, but it wasn't telescoping. So, which means 
we i had to drive dude it was oh. some of the sketchiest shit i've ever done it was so insane i was like what am i doing right now fortunately i had like nothing to say rachel had all the dialogue oh, so nice. i could just really focus on the drive because there were a lot of that i had to be and i'm not even kidding like within two feet of the back bumper of that camera car and they were setting the speed not me so i i didn't know at all when they were slowing like i was just feathering that brake with everything in me like please don't run into this car please don't do that and we just i mean just got it done and i was very proud of myself oh you have to be how does it make sense to no one apparently to put you on a trailer trailer rig why are we why are we letting this car be a foot from you know look because at the end of the day if you can get somebody to actually do the job yes yes if we were on a trailer that just would have been we could have done that, but that would have required us doing half a dozen more passes. Right. And we didn't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you kept saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. I got I'm this. Fine. I got it. <laughs> I got it. And I did. And I did. But it was, it was definitely. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. She does have, you're right, all of the, uh, all the dial. But also you had to, <laughs> while you were going, while you just shared with us what was going on inside your head. I can assure you what we saw was a very calm Dr. Benjamin. He has driven this car and he has no problems at all behind the wheel. <laughs> so good job. That was some of the better acting. People you know, <laughs> try to take that for granted. But that driving acting is like when then I mentioned the trailer because that's the norm. People are not asked to drive a period car two feet or less away from the um, rig car that has the camera on it. Yeah, that's not a thing, people. That is not a thing, especially with a budget... <laughs> That Maisel had, and even starting in season two, um, actually season one, because we were picked up for two seasons. So we kind of went hog wild. I asked everyone about table reads. So uh, uh, showing up to those weddings, I'm sure you remember. Yeah, spare no expense. So yeah, get a trailer, but you're right. There's nothing like getting it. And I remember some great shots of the road underneath that car you were driving in the frame. So we could so quickly and instantly tell that. You would drive it. Yeah. And then um, the aforementioned uh, first time you go to the stage, Deli, was that in this episode where uh, you, yeah, she, she confesses that she's a comic? I think that might be. Um, yeah, that I'm trying to think of the, the order of events. Um, we drive back, I drop her off. I have this moment where I'm like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but should we hang out? We should hang out. Let's let's go on a date. That's it. We do. We go to the play, which we leave at intermission. That's it. Yeah. Which was also, that was a really fun scene too. Um, and then do we go, no, we don't go to the, do we go to the deli after that? Or do we go somewhere else? I can't remember. Well, you go see Lenny. Oh, we go see Lenny. That's right. Upstairs, downstairs. Wait, but then she tells me she's, but then, doesn't she tell me she's a comic then? I, man, I can't remember. No, the very next scene is a stage deli at the end of the night after you see him. And yeah, in fact, gotcha. it's one of the reasons that you're asking, so you and Lenny at while you're seeing oh, the yeah. stage deli. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And also, again, you know, she's dropping this information on me thinking I'm about to just woo, be gone. Yeah. yeah. And I'm looking at the menu being like, okay. <laughs> oh, the timing, your delivery, I got to say, was so impeccable. Um, so you and Lenny, nope, had to ask, how's the meatloaf? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that dish was that you were asking about. yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember you ultimately asked about the meatloaf. No, that was a different one because you guys had great timing on that. How's the meatloaf? And she says, do you like meatloaf? Yes, I do. Get something else. Yeah, the, even the <laughs> rhythm on that. You know, what a clever way of saying the meatloaf here is not great. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Are you a fan of meatloaf? I am. Get something else. Yeah. But yeah, your read on um, you and Lenny. Nope. Had to ask. How's the brisket? Yeah. That's what it was. How's the brisket? Yeah. yeah how's the brisket? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So yeah, first you go and see Lenny. So you're in the rarefied air of one of the all-time great portrayals of a historical figure that Luke Kirby oh, crushes. Oh, God. It's otherworldly. Yes. I mean... It's so a, good. It's, it's banana. So good. I was so impressed by, again, what an incredibly warm, amazing soul that Luke has. But like just watching him, you know, going over things, like just I like, could just in his little corner, just like going over the cadences and going over the voice and listening to recordings that uh, they were that he knew that, you know, Amy and Dan knew that they were going to use into, you know. I was so impressed. I was so impressed by his dedication to it. And it clearly shows. I mean, he, it's so good. He's so yeah. good at it. Yeah. He also, part of his process is to torture himself a little bit the way that Lenny tortured himself. And it's beautiful, the connection he's made to the character. Uh, unfortunately, this is the only thing I've worked with him on. So I don't know if he does that on every job. He probably does, because uh, I've picked up some hints that that might be the norm. But it is so also parallel to Lenny's self-torture uh, that it's kind of... Uh, going back for a second to The Legend of Lizzie, if we may, the play that mentioned... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, Amy and Dan are such theater nerds, and man, oh man, did they pick a stinker for you guys to go see and and bolt from at intermission because it is a play about Lizzie Borden that never should have been. Yeah. Yeah. That was really fun. I mean, just shooting in New York, uh, that was the first really, um, no, I had done one other little thing in New York, but, but it wasn't very much. And we didn't really get to shoot in a lot of like, just, I don't know, iconic New York spots. But that was really fun. It was really fun to like be in, you know, on Broadway, basically in a real theater. And we've shut down the street and we've got, we're doing the whole deal. And we're in our period clothes. I'm like, what is happening? This is <laughs> yeah. so fun. Yeah. Also cool. having been sort of plucked from the boards. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, and again, that was just another great, they set up our relationship build so well. Mm. It's like moment to moment to moment. It just keeps it going from this, eh, to, wait a minute. No, we actually are really so, wow, let's do this. Yeah. Let's do this. And then she breaks my heart. Well, sure. You got to have conflict, but great story doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. made a note. She puts in these little extras uh, while we, you guys are still deciding to bolt outside the theater. Benjamin says, your shoes match your purse. How do you do that? And Midge says, witchcraft, which I thought was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, then the upstairs, downstairs, and you have a Lenny encounter. Lenny at one point, as Jamie pointed out, says Moses is a ringer for Charlton Heston, uh, which is such a crazy line. <laughs> Um, but then again, that stage deli scene, the next one is um, just wow. Just wow. And so I don't remember that early in the process. Was the stage deli a set on the soundstage in season two or were you at? No, no, no. We shot up in the Upper West Side, right? Off of Amsterdam. Isn't that where that place is or something? Sure. I don't know. Yeah. But is it, is it built now at the stages? I didn't know that you all had built the deli. Almost everything is that becomes a regular piece on the show. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, we we went up to the actual diner and shot it there. I mean, almost I think almost everything I think some of the only sets that I shot at and I don't even know it wasn't in those first episodes, but I think I shot 
there was a Steiner. There was like a, a dance hall that was built on the stages. Yep. The apartment, you know, being right. there, that was on those stages. Where you guys dance, I think that. Yeah. That oh, dance well, hall. Uh, no, well, no, even that was uh, that was the, the big, big dance at the end where I'm at the bar and she's, you know, that I think yes. it was the end of that seat, wasn't it? Yeah, that was that was a whole where was that? That was like in Brooklyn somewhere. It was like a warehouse kind of situation. That was the end of uh, the Catskills three episodes in episode six. It right. comes to a conclusion at that big night with the live show performed by the crew. The workers of Steiner, where Susie has the plumber. There, (laughs) (laughs) so good. Oh man! Also, when the Mazes and Weissmans are sitting around that table watching the show and having our little moments, that is where we were when we did get the first round, first batch of Emmy nominations for season one. It was also kind of a historical, because, you know, it, people are in your face at that point. Oh, you're a slam dunk, but you, please, only an idiot would count on something like that happening. So when they just kept coming in, I don't remember the exact number of Emmy nominations, but it got embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, that was a magical place. And you're right. A little bit was shot, I feel like, at the Steiner Family Resort, which is the name of the place we shot, weirdly, because we shoot at the Steiner Studios in Brooklyn. And then a bit was at this other big soundstage or turned into a soundstage. Yeah, it, it was. I think it was an actual like event space where that big dance sequence was. There was another thing built on the stage that was where it was like a, it wasn't that dance area it was like where there was some punch and cookies and i was just like walking in and out of it and the girls were all commenting on me benjamin walks yeah, through yeah. to get a cookie that was definitely a built on the sound yeah, that, that was built, yeah. yeah but other than those couple of things i mean you know almost all of the other yeah. the bars the restaurants the you know uh, jumping ahead a little bit like when we go and uh we're at that bar and there's that uh artist who's there and he's drunk oh. up i remember his name he was so great yeah the man who's in the, the a man man from the high castle or whatever. Oh yes, Thules. Yeah, that was practical. His loft that we went to that was practical. I mean, we right. got to shoot all over. Yeah, yeah. And so, all right. So then, let's speak to. I guess we. I have a few things from episode six in the notes that I should. While you're kind enough to give us some time here, I don't want to not ask for the fans insights what the hell you were thinking or what you can remember thinking the uh closing sort of um stargazing out on the blanket which Ooh. is sort of before the big dance i think it's one of the scenes near the end of episode six yeah yep and jamie set aside the extra line where benjamin says i'm a man i'm a jew i stop which was just uh i think something to do with why you gave her the blanket and you don't need any or you're cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also the first time Joel is noticing the two of you because this is... But there's something potentially going on. Yeah. Yeah, and we as the audience who have lived by this point, before Benjamin enters the storyline, we are, by the end of season one, there's this great moment where Joel sees her on stage, gets into a fight with the hecklers out on the street and says, she's great. She's great. And we just, we fall in love with him all over again. So when season two starts, we want him and they to get back together. And then Benjamin comes in and it's just this beautiful conflict. So in that moment where for the audience, Joel sees Benjamin and Midge on the blanket, that is the first moment of, ah, oh, shit, man. <laughs> you know, for his character. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll tell you, 
when you're at the bar and she comes over and you're in the white jacket, that just feels so 1940s, 50s movie star, the way it's photographed by the great David Mullen. And oh, man, that whole exchange, even they built it into your dialogue when she says, uh, you know where to find me. And he ends up saying, yeah, yeah, I don't. So come back. I mean, it would have been great. Sorry, I couldn't just let you go with that line. <laughs> oh, that's what I was like. That would have been a great thing to end on. But no, I actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so real. It's such a great little real moment. Well, they also, they created this movie from the 40s moment and then broke it apart with reality of the 1959 yeah. moment. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. 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 These are And that people. wardrobe, man. That wardrobe is so beautiful. It's so cool. I loved that I got to wear these high-waisted, you know, 40s, 50s pants. Oh, it was so cool. And that they built for you. Yes. And but but also as an actor, and you can speak to this as well, I'm sure, but you know, you can go, we can go and pretend to be plenty of different characters. Mm. But when you get suited. In whatever the look is, that helps you really believe it more. And then if you're in a practical set, even, or, you know, really well, beautifully built set, that helps you immerse into it more. Yeah. And so all of it, like I, there were so many moments where I just kind of kept looking around and because all the extras are all decked out looking fantastic and everybody's smoking cigarettes yeah. inside. Yeah. Well, you know, fake cigarettes, but sure. That was actually a weird thing for me because I had quit smoking a year prior to that. And right. I had smoked for 20 years. In fact, you and I had talked about this because you also smoked. That's right. I had the hypnotist. You had the hypnotist. Yeah. God helped you. Yeah. So I had just quit smoking a year prior. And all of a sudden now I'm on camera smoking these cigarettes. And I was so tempted to be like, I don't want to smoke these crap, you know, fake cigarettes. I want to smoke a real cigarette. Yeah. I was like, no, Zach, you put those down for a reason. Do not pick them back up again. Yeah. But it was Dangerous. very strange just being, being around. Everybody just smoking fake cigarettes. Like Dangerous ground. Yeah. You mentioned the when you get in the wardrobe, you feel the truth of the character in the moment. It always reminds me that I'm a comedian, not a trained actor. When we're on set and I'm in my New Balance comfy shoes and Tony's in his period shoes. And he says, no, no, they just helped me with the character. And I go, yeah, I, I need to be comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, to each their own. That's right. I'm wearing the rest of the outfit. You know what? There you go. When the camera doesn't see my shoes, I ain't wearing those because they're not. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. When Donna, our multi-award winning costume designer, and, you know, when, when you go in for those fittings and you know, oh, so we're not going to go to Great Western costumes out in hollywood or whatever they're going to pull these period pieces. nope they're going to build them and um yeah. boy, boy do they and it really is astonishing and you're right when you get in that stuff that high-waisted stuff for all of us the men and then the women say oh honey please you're not in the period bras you're not in the you know which they are and it's it definitely keeps you in character yeah yeah okay so that that does take us through episode six. So then I guess I just a little overview of season two and being in that world and having that story arc and a sense of towards the end of season two, a sense of, okay, they are going to stick some sort of landing, whether it sticks or not. They've decided for now in season two where we're going. And I remember a table read, an odd table read where we were at and there was already a sense in the air from reading just that script of oh okay so you figured out the exact perfect way why this is not going to work 
but speak if you can to the memory of, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, again, I was along for the ride. I had no idea where they were going to weave all of that. Um, There was definitely, you know, I I will say there was a part of me that maybe because I was, you know, partly because I was having such a good time and what a lovely group of people to be working with, but also like I, as a fan of the show, as an audience member, was rooting for Midge and rooting for Midge's happiness. And, you know, I was like, well, Joel clearly still loves her, but he's a schmuck and he did what he did. And like, I'm, I, don't, I don't want her to go back to him. No. And so I'm like, she shouldn't be with me. Like we, there, we should, there should be something here. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I get her and I like her for all of her weirdness and all of these things this, you know, that she needs and wants a person who's going to accept her for who she is and what she wants to do. And she's found that person. So I remember feeling like, oh, like, I guess, you know, I guess that's not ultimately going to happen, at least not the way that I thought it was going to. But I remember talking to, and I don't remember when this was. I don't know if this was during season two or when I came back for those couple episodes in season three. Right. But I think it was Amy who kind of kind of broke it down in a way that made so much sense. And I then, you know, really just kind of appreciated it all more, which was, I was never going to be, I was never supposed to be this knight in shining armor who gave her everything that she was looking for. I was a device. I was a a tool to help show the audience that even when she's presented with quote unquote, the perfect guy. Yeah. The golden you know, opportunity. Well, there's all these other guys and problems and issues and things or whatever, but here's the guy. Yeah. He's a guy who's going to let you live the life you want to live. He supports you. He's got his own things. He's like, you know, he's solid. He's stable. He's, you know, all of it. He can take care of your family. Your parents love him. You really like him. Like what, what's not to, but I was, yeah, I was a way of showing the audience that even when presented with that, yeah. she's still not going to choose that. Testing her resolve. Her resolve, but also like, you know, knowing that the character is at least somewhat based on Amy's own father yeah, and how her father constantly chose, you know, some selfish things, no matter like he had kids and a wife and all his family was like, I got to go do this gig. I got to go do this. I got to And they were like, what are you doing? You have a whole family that you need. He's like, no, no, I got to go do the gig. Yeah. I got to go do the gig. And there's a lot of self-destructiveness in all of that, you know, and, and the show is full of it. The show is full of yeah. both Susie and Midge. Well, really, actually, kind of everybody sometimes, like everybody chooses to do these weird things yeah. that are self-destructive. And so I was like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, once I knew what my, what the role's role was, right. once I understood what it meant in the bigger, larger kind of mosaic, then I was quite content with this is how it all plays out. And look, I will say that had it just fizzled and there was no circle back in to have that final diner, you know, deli scene, that would have been like a, you know, because yeah. like I put all this, not just me, but the character puts all this time into it. And then we don't ever come back. We don't resolve it. It's just like, Oh, Benjamin, I never called him back. And that's it. It's like, Oh, okay. But then once they, once they hit me over, they're like, so listen, we're going to bring you back. And then I'm like, Oh, come on, let's do yeah. this. Yeah. Cause you know, very rarely does anybody, really have the opportunity to lay into Midge on that kind of stuff. That's you know, right. there's just not nope. everyone in her life, everyone's so close and so dysfunctional yes. that nobody really has a leg to stand on oftentimes when lecturing each other because you're all, there's so much dysfunction going on. And here's this guy who was really just an innocent bystander to all this and was doing his best 
and was really, he was a good dude. And then I just got shafted in this, on all this weirdness to have this moment to just be like, listen to me. Yeah. You fuck. Yeah. Let me tell you fucking something. And it was, and it's so, you know, it's so well-written. And Oh, like, as, a, as a soliloquy, it is beautifully written and beautifully performed. You mentioned uh, you'd never worked with Tony before. So let's talk briefly about when Benjamin has to have his sit down with Abe about his intentions, because Abe is immediately dialed in. He gets it. He gets why Dr. Benjamin is perfect for everyone concerned, uh, but he still has to put you through that sit down. So yeah, briefly, any memory of working with Tony in, in that those moments? Fantastic. Again, you know, such a massive fan of him and his talent and and for many, many years. I mean, you know, going all the way back to Wings and stuff like that. Like, I, I just think yeah. he's so, so good. And he's so good in everything that he does. And and so kind. I mean, again, I, I, I can't speak highly enough of all of you as people and as talent. I mean, just so good. But so but there was definitely, you know, and, and it worked perfectly because there was there was definitely a little bit of not nervousness of like, I hope he likes me or whatever, but like he's such a pro and he's so dialed in. Like you said, I mean, he is so aid. He's so ready to rock that. And again, fortunately, it was a scene where I was much more of the reactor in all of it as he was kind of driving the cadence and driving what was going on. And so it was quite fun to just, it's one of the few scenes where Benjamin is not entirely confident, not entirely cool. You know, like, I am, but he catches me off guard quite a few times. And I'm just, oh, do you want, oh, I got to write this. Okay. You know, yeah. yeah. You see, yeah. You see Benjamin actually be a somewhat nervous person in the presence of Abe. Um, so that was fun, you know, like just getting to play another little flavor of, of what Benjamin, you know, was or is or, you know. Yeah. And again, just getting to share screen time with Tony, which was, a, you know, a treat. And they, the little bit of butterflies makes sense when you admire another actor that much and you get to play with them is a little bit of hey like me but it's a lot of we're good together we had a nice rhythm together we we, yeah. we you know there's a yeah. desire for that and and then we get butterflies uh, nervousness regarding our own participation in that dance yeah I imagine that there's got to be some similar DNA and, you know, like if you're a jazz musician and you've got, or, or musician in general, but like, I just, I don't know, I go to jazz, but you know, you're good at your crafts. Yeah. You're confident in your abilities, but now all of a sudden you're sitting into a session with some horn player. That's like everything to you. Yep. And you just don't want to fuck up. You, yep. you know, you know, you can do it. Yep. You're totally good. But this person is like, so you you know you you you've listened to their albums you know how they you've been inspired by the way they do what they do then a similarity to acting with tony would be that sense of we're coming up to my part that a musician yeah. would feel yeah. in a recording yeah. in the presence of greatness we're coming up to my part it's time for me to shine to make him feel the way i do that this is special and i don't mess it up <laughs> yeah 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 but it was great, man. I mean, again, I, I there are so many, so many moments mm. on camera and off that were just so delightful. I love when people talk about the show or ask me about it because I just get to gush. Yeah. I just get to rate. There's not, and I can't say that about everything that I've been a part of, you know, not that there haven't been incredible people that have been involved in all of the things that I've done or even great moments along the way, but 
not everything that we do ends up being such a a delightful, just magical thing that yeah. all cohesed. You know, that's why you guys get all the love that you do and the awards that you do that are so well deserved because you have people operating on the highest levels, both personally and professionally, creating that environment. And again, I was definitely like, I mean, I was kind of, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I was kind of the first recurring character that, you know, that, that it's not a regular, that's not a part of your main kind of core, but it was coming in as this guest player, but for multiple, multiple episodes. I, I, I don't remember there being a lot of that in the first season. And I was that character in the second season. So there could have been that easily, depending on how, what the environment was, I could have been like, oh, wow, like I'm, this is not the environment or family that I feel like I can thrive in. And instead it was just delightful. It was so delightful. And a feather in my cap that I will just cherish forever. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that is the perfect sort of articulation of um, what this experience of every department head being a master and every team that each department head puts together to articulate and bring those genius creations to fruition. And then Amy and Dan, I guess you were probably directed by one or the other, though, each time we've had a few guest oh. directors, including Scott. Yeah, Ellis, yeah. Of course. yeah. Actually, Scott, unfortunately, I, I never we never right. did an episode. Yeah. But Amy and Dan both. I got them, I think, at least a couple of times, both of them a, a couple of times. And some great guest directors as well. Yeah. Yeah. And a real sense of, we're leaving this up to you. On average, the direction from actors I've spoken to, the direction seems to be, just pace it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. as a person, a creator yourself that wants to lift these words and make them even more magical if possible, which is why you feel you've been asked to contribute to get that singular direction. That's it. That's all That's all you want. <laughs> that's all I have to do is say it all a little faster. Okay. Great. I guess I got everything else working pretty good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, but but I think that, again, that's a testament to their confidence in their writing, but also their confidence in their casting. Casting. They know that you do exactly what they want you to do in that character. Right. By just doing what you do. It's not, they don't need to be like, Hey, I don't know if you're really in his head enough because you're not understanding what we're trying to do. No, it's if you cast well and you have those initial conversations, it's not, it shouldn't be that difficult. You shouldn't have to be guiding people through that much, you know? Yeah. And again, it's, it's in the words it's there and all the information you really need is right there in those words. And if you're stumbling and not figuring it out, then they'll pull you aside and be like, I don't think you're quite understanding this or that, but yeah, I mean, there's so many words to get out. (laughs) There's so many words and there's not enough time. So Yeah. yeah. You got to pace that shit up. But I feel like, honestly, though, but I feel like even aside from Maisel, even like when I was working on Chuck for years, I mean, the main note that we would get is just quicker, just quicker, because you've got so much to say and you've only got, you know, particularly with network television, 44 and a half minutes to get it all in there. Yeah. So if we're, you know, really chewing up the scenery and we're taking our time and being really, you know, too dramatic or taking too long of a pause for a joke or whatever it is, well, guess what, guys? We're going to have to get the editor going to come in here and snip it all up anyway. So you can either make it more organic and have it all go quicker coming out of your mouths, or it's just going to go bop, 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 and you're going to have to go figure it out in ADR later. Yeah. Please don't make us paste this up in post is really the main oh, note. No. And did you do many of those now famous Paladino eight-page wonders in the course of the shot setups? Yeah, you must have. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's little um, pieces of theater in each of them. Yeah. I would say that by and large, I love a oneer. First of all, I just think there's something so magical. If you can, I mean, the coordination required to get everybody on the same page for everybody to hit their lines and hit their marks and all the timing and you know all of it. And but when you got a hundred extras and like, I mean, it's crazy. So there's something so fulfilling about like nailing that. There were only a couple of times when I was having a hard time. One of them was. When we were in the bar and artist guy was up on the bar doing his deal, it was so hot because in the show it was winter. I mean, it was, you know, fall, winter. We're wearing like massive overcoats and stuff, but we were shooting in the middle of July. Yeah. And so we're inside this teeny little practical bar somewhere. I don't even know where we were, somewhere in the Greenwich Village or something. And they've got all the atmosphere, like the smoky atmosphere in there. So they're not really wanting to turn the AC on because it will blow it all out of there. Yep. So we're just baking in here. I'm overheating like crazy. And there's so many lines that are we that keep coming back to us. And I was having a meltdown. I was like, oh my God, I'm not remembering these lines. <laughs> and then even actually in the, in the deli, in the deli, I had a, a moment where I... And Amy was so great about it too. She was like, because she knows, she knows the pressure she puts that where, you know, they put like, there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there was a moment where I just kept fucking up the same moment. And I was like, ah, and I started to kind of like <laughs> have a little bit of a meltdown. She's like, Zach, it's okay. Breathe, take a moment. Everybody just, let's just take, everybody just, you know, take five, whatever it was. Yeah. And she gave me a moment and we came back and, and we also, I think we broke it into two halves as well. Like, Right, which was kind of the way to do it anyway, because we had to go sit down and they had to repo the cameras anyway, so it couldn't really be the whole deal. And that, you know, eventually we got through that. And again, I'm so so proud of that scene. But those are like the only two long, you know, scene oneerish moments where I definitely was feeling that yeah. pressure. But all the other ones, I mean, I had a little bit to do here and a little bit to do there. It was just making sure that I hit my cues, and I'm pretty good at that. So. Oh, nice. Well, my goodness, I uh, am so very grateful that you could make time for us and share as much as you have, on top of which getting to see you and just have a good chat as we have, which is always the joy of this. Yeah, well, listen, when I do cover season three, maybe I'll see if I can bring you in for a little little sprinkle. Let me know. Yeah. We'll revisit the deli one more time. Yeah. I mean, we we visited it beautifully today, but maybe I'll leave that open if you don't mind. But in the meantime, man, oh man, did I get more than I was hoping. So thank you very, very much for that. My pleasure, man. Thank you so much for hitting me up. This is delightful. I love being able to reminisce about stuff that I love. And I I really did. Like, I, I mean, I can't say it enough. I just so appreciated my time there. So appreciate you and everyone there. Please, by the way, make sure that you tell everybody I said hello and give them my love when you're back in New York. I will. Benjamin Ettenberg sends his regards. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Bye. Wowzy wow, 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 wowzy wow, wow. All of that. Wow. Yes. The energy, the pep in that fella's voice and being is uh, undeniable. And I love talking to him, as you can probably tell. Yeah. If you have any follow-up questions, any comments for me or Zach about today's episode, please write to us at mymrsbazelpot at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And uh, let's open up the mailbag to read one of your emails right now, shall we? Okay, in today's mailbag, we have a very interesting question. It comes from David in Silver Spring, Maryland. Kevin, 
How do you, as a member of the tribe, feel about spot-on portrayal of so many Jews by so many talented goys? I believe Sarah Silverman refers to this as Jewface. Thanks to you for doing this recap. We in the diaspora appreciate it greatly. David of Silver Spring, Maryland. Well, David, first of all, I can't tell you how much I appreciate everyone's question, and the more personal, the better, so thank you for all of that. I am a proud member of the tribe, the tribe being, aka, the chosen people, but I'm a California Reform Jew, which means basically I'm Catholic. Holding for laughs. Yeah, so Bar Mitzvah confirmed from religious school, proud, you know, member of the Temple Emmanuel in San Jose, California, where I grew up, and exceptionally proud to be, quote unquote, a Jew, but I, I don't um, have a deep religious connections. Just to give you a little backstory of my own, having nothing to do, I don't think, actually, with your question. Back to your question. Sarah Silverman can certainly have her opinions, but since you brought it up, I think it's asinine to say that people who aren't Jews aren't allowed to portray Jews. It's like saying people who aren't French, or dare I say, people who are Australian portraying Americans. We don't seem to be up in arms about that. You know, it's called acting. Sarah, I'm yelling at her, not you, David. The Jew face thing, it really pisses me off. I I'm sure you can sense that. Because you've got someone like Tony Shalhoub, for example, Lebanese, supposed to be my natural born enemy uh, as a Jew. He's a brilliant actor. He's been hired to be a brilliant actor. He's got Emmy Awards to prove how brilliant he is from other shows as well as an Emmy he picked up for Maisel. He's so revered by his peers. How dare anyone, quite frankly, take umbrage or issue with him and his religious background or cultural background. He's an actor portraying a part. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's offensive to me when it comes to acting. And uh, again, everyone's entitled to their opinions. I don't mean to argue someone else's opinion. I can only uh, get riled up by it and share my own, which I've now done. So yeah, all of the Weissman, the actors portraying the Weissman family members were in fact not Jews, or as you put it, Goys, the Goyim. And all of the Maisels were portrayed by Jews. So that's odd. And then Alex Borstein as Susie Morrison is also Jewish. And uh you know, our, our lead, of course, is just, you know, a world-class actor. It wasn't a comedian also, you know, so someone's going to have umbrage. How dare this dramatic actress portray a comedian? Choose your battles, folks. Make them stick. What's important to you, what's personal to you, again, everyone's entitled to their opinions. And that's mine, David. It's important that we all be passionate, as uh, I've now demonstrated. I'm capable of as well. Thank you for writing into my Mrs. Maisel pod at gmail.com. David from Silver Spring, Maryland, and thank you for listening and your compliments or the gratitude you've shown as you wrote. Thanks to you for doing this recap. Thanks to you, David, and everyone you've ever met, because I'm sure you've told them, for listening to the podcast. Okay. Be well. Gazay Gazun. This is your host, Kevin Pollock, thanking you. I'll see you in my dreams. Until then, be kind to each other.
Okay, closing credits time. My Mrs. Maisel pod was created by me, your host, Kevin Pollack, research writer, producer, Jamie Fox, and our engineer, recording, post-production producer genius is Ken Plume. My Mrs. Maisel pod is brought to you by the fine folks at Q-Code. Q-Code. Sounds like something, doesn't it? Oh, lastly, you should know... I'm told by legal to make this crystal clear that my Mrs. Maisel pod was not sanctioned in any way, shape, or form by Amazon Prime, nor the show's creators Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Palladino, although I feel the need to mention I did get their blessing. Okay, good. That should save me some legal fees. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Everyone needs a break from the real world. That's why we played games as kids, and that's why we should play games as adults. I'm Troy Lavalle, And I'm Joe O'Brien. And back in 2015, we started a podcast called The Glass Cannon Podcast, a show made up of comedians and actors playing a fantasy role-playing game. And now is the perfect time to start listening because we just started a brand new story. It's basically Lord of the Rings meets Game of Thrones meets X-Files. Search for The Glass Cannon Podcast on your podcast app of choice. Hey, life is hard, so come play pretend with us. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.